Now, those announcements were important. Did anybody get that? But now what we're going to talk about is even more important. It's God's Word. And I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. A little intimidated. Uh, We're definitely going to need that power if we're going to apply what we're talking about today. This is maybe, we've been talking about being bold witnesses, and that's important. And maybe this is at the heart of of what it means to to, to, to be able to be a bold witness, and that's the idea of selflessness. It's at this time of the year, this is uh, Thanksgiving Sunday. We, we say that because it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving comes this Thursday, and it's the Christmas season. How many have their trees up already? Just me? All right. Got my tree up. Just because I, I had to buy a new fake one, because my old fake one kind of wasn't doing so well. So I bought it and set it up. So we have a tree, no, no decorations on it yet. This is the, the time of the year when we often think about take, getting, taking opportunities to bless others, to help those in need. But let me ask you this. When a need presents itself, when an opportunity to give or to serve comes up, what do you think about? What goes through your mind? For me true confessions, far too often I begin running through the calculations in my head. My math brain kicks in. I begin working through the the cost-benefit analysis. Well, if I do this, then what am I going to get out of it? What's in it for me? If I help this guy, if I help this guy move, then he'll, he'll owe me. If I give money to this cause, then people will think I'm a a generous person. You know, if I go and I offer to pray for that that person, then then they'll think I'm I'm spiritual. Or if I I go and I I help this family shovel mud out of their backyard, they'll they'll see that I'm a caring pastor. Oh, I I didn't mean to say that one, sorry. (laughs) Say that one out loud. But unfortunately, that's how I, how we, I, I think, sometimes think. Our actions of apparent love and sacrifice can be motivated by a selfish attitude. A, as someone's put it, a me-first mentality. But in our passage for today, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, just a few verses, we find a different kind of attitude. An attitude that's shining forth. We see a church that's filled with selfless people. People who truly love and truly care for one another. People who are applying Philippians 2.3, which we read just a minute ago. They're applying it. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. They're applying this before the verse has even been written before Paul, the author, has even been converted. And it's my prayer, it's my hope, it's my desire that as we examine this selfless church, this church filled with selfless people, that we'll be both convicted of our selfishness, of our own personal selfishness, and we'll be empowered. We'll be empowered to overcome that selfishness. We'll be empowered to be a more selfless people, a people who, in the power of the Spirit, can give ourselves for the glory of God and for the good of others. That's what we want to be as a church. 
Now, in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, what we find is the second summary in the book of Acts of what the early church looked like. The first summary, if you remember, was in chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. We covered that a number of weeks ago. And in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, we got a summary of the summary. Remember, Luke is writing, and he says about the early church, and he says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And in that summary, we began to get a picture, as as you read down through the rest of those verses, you began to get a picture of a church that cared for one another. They were devoted to fellowship, to having things in common to sharing with one another. They were devoted to breaking bread, spending time together, eating together, surrounded, focusing in on Jesus as they did that. Now in Acts chapter 4, 32-35, we get this second summary of early church life, a summary that that is going to enhance this picture that we've already been given. A summary that comes on the heels of a prayer meeting. If you remember last week, we ended with a prayer meeting. Remember, Peter and John had had returned from uh, from being arrested. They had been arrested by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and they came back. They were arrested, questioned, threatened, and released. And when they were released, the first thing they did was go find some friends and, and pray. They thanked God, if you remember, for His sovereignty even and especially in the midst of opposition. And then they prayed for what? Anybody remember what they prayed for? They prayed for boldness, thanks. Glad you were here. They prayed for more boldness. And in Acts 4.31 we read, after this prayer time, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. God answers their prayer for boldness. And what follows in the text, what Luke follows that with, is the second summary then of early church life. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Okay. So this morning I want us to look at these verses. And I want us to see three ways that the early church was a selfless church. Then I want us to consider and think about where did that selflessness come from? What caused them to be selfless? And finally, I want us to consider how, as individuals and as a church, we can grow in our selflessness. And selflessness is, by the way, the opposite of selfishness. We don't hear selflessness much. We hear a lot about selfishness. So let's begin with the first way the early church was selfless the selfless unity of the church. Verse 32 again, just the beginning. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Luke here emphasizes that in that early church there was unity. They were one. 
They were united in both heart and soul. They were united emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. They were committed to one another. They were committed to the same things. They had similar purposes. They were thinking along the same lines. They were truly soul brothers and sisters. And this was all the more astonishing because of their diversity. Yes, they at this point were all Jews or converts to Judaism. But if you remember, they had come from all over the known world. Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 lists where this first group, the first group of 3,000 converts had come from. Remember this Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Pergamum, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. They were from everywhere. They were from all over the known world. Now, I don't know about you. There's this new game, this app. This is really the first app that I've got into that is actually uh, where you play some game with other people. How do you, I don't know what that's called. But it's called Trivia Crack. Sorry for the name. And it, it graciously tells you, that it's different categories of trivia questions, and it graciously tells you when you come to your worst category. And my worst category is geography. So... I don't really know where these places were, but they were there. They were surrounding Israel, if you picture Israel in your mind. So they were all around. So this is a very diverse group. But it was a diverse group that was of one heart and one soul. This was clearly a supernatural unity. They were experiencing the unity that the Lord Jesus had prayed for them in John chapter 17. Listen to Jesus' prayer. This is before the church exists, so to speak, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is praying in John 17, before his arrest, before his crucifixion. He says this, he prays this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's asking for his his apostles, his disciples, and then everyone that's going to believe in them through his word. That included this early church, it includes us that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Notice the the benefit of unity there is that the world sees, and we're going to see that. The world's going to see what's happening in this church. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be Come perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. What a model of unity, the Father and the Son, the unity that's there. That's our model, and Jesus prays that for us. So Jesus prayed for unity, and the early church is experiencing incredible oneness of heart and soul. Now, just to be clear, this oneness, this unity does not mean that everybody becomes exactly alike. Okay? It doesn't mean that that Christians see everything exactly the same way. It doesn't mean that we use the same Bible translations, even though we should all use the ESV, just just saying. It doesn't mean that we all read the same books or authors, even though you should be reading John Piper. It doesn't mean you raise or discipline your children in the same way. I'm not going to even touch that one. 
It doesn't mean that we share the same likes and dislikes. We don't all have to be Dallas Cowboy fans, although I recommend it. We are not and do not want to be Christian clones. Pastor Kent Hughes writes this. I think we need to take it to heart whenever we're thinking about unity. The insistence that others be just like us is one of the most disunifying mindsets a church can have because it instills a judgmental inflexibility that hurls people away from the church with lethal force. One of the wonders of Christ is that he honors our individually while bringing us into unity. It's a supernatural process that takes place in our lives. I've had the privilege of of seeing this in action, of, of working with very diverse groups of people in Thailand. The first church planting team that Christina and I were part of, consisted of a, a single guy, unmarried, single guy from Ireland, a young married couple from Singapore and Malaysia. He was from Singapore. She, they were diverse themselves. And a, and a Thai woman. And then Christine and I from the good old U.S. of A. Now, we were diverse. Different thoughts, different cultures, different ideas. We didn't agree on everything. We didn't even agree on the definition of the word football. They thought it was kicking some ball into goals, and I knew what it was. It was throwing passes and stuff. But we were united in our relationship with Christ, and we were united in our mission to bring people to Him. And that unity in Christ was far more important than our differences. The early Christians certainly differed in their opinions on many things, food and clothing and language and customs. But they were united in the most important thing. They were united in their relationship with Christ and they were united in their mission. The mission that He had given them. The mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Their unity was, was with one another was because of their unity with Christ. A.W. Tozer illustrates it th- this, this way. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork you tune a piano to a fork? I don't know. Are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one has individually, must individually bow. So you get that? If we're bowing to Jesus, all of us, then we'll be united together. First John 1.7, the Apostle John puts it this way, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Just think about it. If we're all together walking in the light with Christ, we're also walking together. It's when we're in tune with Christ, when we walk in the light together, that we're united with one another. So these early believers were of one heart and one soul. They were united in Christ. They were united with one another. And that unity was manifested. It showed itself in a selfless attitude towards one another. Verse 32, the second half. And no one said they that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. The word common should be familiar to us. We talked about it when we were in chapter 2 of Acts. It's that Greek koinos, which means to share, to have things in common. It's related to the word koinonia, which we get our word fellowship. The early church was devoted to fellowship. Based on the Acts 2 summary, we define fellowship this way. Listen. 
Fellowship, I think I put it up there. Fellowship means that believers are bonded, united. So bonded, so united, that if one is in need, the others don't feel they have the right to live on in prosperity without giving up something to meet the need. And that definition still holds true. That's that's what we got from Acts 2, and it still holds here in Acts 4. The early church was united in such a way that they were willing to release their personal property. They were willing to selflessly share what they had with one another, with those in need. This should speak to us. How do we view our property, our house, our car, our bank account? Are we holding on to them for dear life? Are we seeking to make them increase, to get more and bigger and better things? Or do we hold on to them loosely? Are the things we possess for our comfort, or are they for the good of others and the furtherance of God's kingdom? Are the things we possess only for our own comfort, or are they for the good of others and the furtherance of God's kingdom? I hope the answer is clear. And I hope... This causes us to to think, to rethink how we use and how we misuse our own personal resources. So first we see the early church that is selflessly united. They love and care for one another more than they care for their stuff. They understand that people are more important than possessions. Now the selfless unity they experienced was internal. It was within the church. So what about outside the church? Did this selflessness extend to the world around them? That's our second point. The selfless witness of the church. Remember what we saw last week. The early church, specifically Peter and John, had faced opposition. They had faced threats from the Jewish religious leaders. They had told them, the Jewish religious leaders had told Peter and John, cease and desist from teaching about Jesus. Specifically, stop talking about this resurrection or you're in trouble, bub. But instead of worrying about the threats, instead of being paralyzed with fear, instead of trying to figure out the best way to avoid opposition, they prayed this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In the face of threats and opposition, they prayed for more boldness. Boldness to speak the word of God. And in Acts 4.33, we see the results of their prayer. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. In spite of the opposition and the threats, the apostles continued in boldness to give the testimony to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace, great grace was upon them all. That word grace means means favor. And it's usually, it's usually, uh, we usually talk about it in terms of God's grace, God's favor towards us, towards humanity. You're saved by grace through faith. And that could be part of the meaning here. But more likely, it's the favor that it's talking about the favor that the church is experiencing within their community. All eyes are upon them. As they demonstrated great love and care and concern for one another, the community took notice and they approved. 
These Christians, even in the face of opposition, truly love and care for one another. They're willing to sacrifice, be selfless within for one another. So what we have is a church witnessing by, by living selfless lives and by selflessly preaching the Word of God. Why do I say they were selflessly preaching, selflessly witnessing? Because when the apostles go out and testify about Jesus Christ, when they witness to the truth of His resurrection, who are they thinking about? Are they thinking about themselves, their own personal safety, their own security, their own future needs, their own reputation? Or are they thinking about others? Are they thinking about the countless people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? The countless people who will spend eternity without Jesus unless they hear the message. Therefore, witnessing, especially in face of opposition, is a selfless witness. Now we know, well, I hope we know, that there's great joy, great joy to be found in witnessing for Jesus. But there's also a cost. The apostles were beginning to experience that, and that would continue. They would continue to experience it. Others would continue to experience it. They and others would continue to disregard their own personal safety, their own comforts for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. And their example of selfless witnessing has been duplicated again and again throughout Christian history, throughout church history. Here's just one example, one example from the 19th century. From his conversion in his teens, Hudson Taylor, the founder of CIM, China Inland Mission, had a deep passion for God and a desire to serve him as a missionary in China. All through his young adult, adulthood, his focus on his goal never failed. Most of China's inland cities had never seen a foreign missionary, and a million Chinese each month were dying without having heard the gospel. Taylor could not understand how any believer could be unmoved in the face of such staggering need. He left his home in Barnsley in 1850 to study medicine in London, preparing to go to China as, at the first opportunity as a medical missionary. Once in China, Taylor found that to gain an audience with people, he first needed to give up his European dress and customs. He adopted a pigtail and chopsticks and traveled from town to town, living in boats or small shacks, usually battling insects and, I, I didn't write this, somebody else wrote it, and vermin. Vermin, you guys know what vermin is? It's, they're not pleasant. Rats and stuff like that. Battling insects and vermin. Once on a journey to an inland city, he was robbed of his traveling bed, spare clothes, surgical instruments, and the Bible his mother had given him. Taylor decided not to prosecute the thief because of the harsh Chinese penal system, but wrote the culprit a, a letter instead, urging him to repent. While in China, Taylor endured many hardships, including arrest, insult, slander, and poverty. But he lived his life believing what Jesus had said in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, that if we give up anything for the sake of the gospel, we receive blessings 100 times, 100 times better in this life and eternal life in the world to come. With that perspective, Taylor could truly say, I never made a sacrifice. What a great word for us. 
We're called to be selfless witnesses, to give of ourselves that others might know the truth of Jesus Christ. But Jesus promises to be with us, to bless us, to to bless our lives in this life and the life to come. Therefore, being a selfless witness truly is not a sacrifice. It's a great joy. So we've seen the selfless witness of the church, their witness, their willingness to risk opposition and persecution so that others outside the church might hear the gospel. Now let's look again back inside the church. Let's look at the selfless generosity of the church. Verse 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and and brought the proceeds of, of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. In the church at Jerusalem, there was no poverty. They wiped it out. There wasn't a needy person among them. Why? Because when there was a need, when there was a need, those who had land or houses didn't hold on to them. But instead, they sold what they had and gave the money to the apostles. And the apostles gave to those in need. Now, it wasn't that they they sold, I would say the text implies, they sold their excess, the things they weren't using. They They didn't get someone out of poverty by putting themselves in poverty. It was those that had an abundance. They sold to meet the needs of those that had nothing. And it's important to note this. This is key. The selling of their lands and houses was completely voluntary. They were under no obligation, no pressure. Nowhere in the text is there any suggestion that it was required to be part of the early church to sell your stuff. In fact, in chapter 5, which we'll get to next week, We have this example of this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They sell their property and they secretly keep back part of the money. And in Acts, they go to the apostles and say, here's all the money, but they've kept back part of it. And in Acts 5, 3 and 4, we read this. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your land, your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. We'll look at this more closely next week. But my, my point today is, is what Ananias, what, it was Ananias' land to do with as he wanted. And when he sold it, the money was his to do with as he wanted. Those who sold houses and land did it voluntarily. It wasn't an act of compulsion, but a selfless act of generosity from the heart. John Calvin commented on these verses and on his society, writes this, In those days the believers gave abundantly of, of what was their own. We in our day are content not just jealously to retain what we possess, but callously to rob others. They sold their own possessions in those days. In our day, it is the lust to purchase that reigns supreme. At that time, love made each man's own possessions common property for those in need. In our day, such is the inhumanity of many that they begrudge to the poor a common dwelling upon earth 
the common use of water, air, and sky. That was John Calvin in the 16th, in 16th century Europe. But it applies to us, maybe even more in 21st century America. We live in an extremely materialistic culture. Our media, the people around us, the Joneses, tell us we aren't complete unless we have the latest, unless we have the greatest, unless we have the best, the best car, the best house, the best computer, the best phone, and we're sucked in. We lust for things. We lust for possessions. We believe that it's these things that will somehow bring us happiness. When in fact, true joy, true happiness is found only in the things of the Lord. Only in His presence. Only in using the resources He gives you. Remember, they're His resources for His purposes. And one of the main purposes is generosity, giving to others, especially those in need. Paul makes that clear. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul quotes Jesus, who said, it's more blessed to give than receive. Do you guys know what that word blessed means? It literally means happy. Jesus is saying, you will be happier as a giver than as a receiver. This is a truth we need to get a hold of. This is a truth we need to live by. As a church and as individuals, we need to grow in our ability to be selfless, to put others ahead of ourselves, to value people above possessions. And how do we do that? How is that possible? It certainly is not natural. It's certainly not what our flesh wants. It's certainly not what our culture tells us. I think the early church can help us. Final point this morning, the source of selflessness. The early church was a selfless church. The question is, how did they achieve this selflessness? And the application is, how do we follow their example? Let me suggest two things, two things that I believe produced this amazing selflessness in the early church. The first we've touched on throughout our study of Acts. Notice in verse 31, chapter 4, just prior to the summary of the selfless church, Luke writes, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke then goes on to describe what we've just read the selfless church, the selfless activities of the early church, the selfless things they did were done by people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the point's clear, isn't it? True selflessness is a supernatural ability given only to those who are filled with the Spirit of God. It's God that grants us the ability to be truly selfless, to think of others ahead of ourselves left to our natural state. We may have the ability on the outside to do some seemingly selfless acts, but it's only through the power of the Spirit that we'll be able to be a truly selfless people. Selfless on the inside, in our heart, and in our soul. So the source of selflessness 
is the filling of the Spirit. The source of selflessness is the filling of the Spirit. But I said there were two things. Two things I believe produce selflessness in the early church. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power, the ability to be selfless people, but the Holy Spirit is given to those who believe in Jesus. And it is, I believe, our belief in Jesus and the power of the Spirit that enables us to be truly selfless people. Look back at verse 32 in Acts chapter 4. Notice how Luke describes the early church. Now, the full number of those who believed. They were people who believed. And what did they believe? They believed in the gospel. They believed what the apostles were teaching. They believed in Jesus Christ. They trusted in Him. As you know, that word believed is more than just up here. It's more than an intellectual agreement about some truth. It it means to have faith, to put your trust in something else. And that's the point. Think about it. If you're truly trusting in Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, you no longer need to trust in other stuff. He is sufficient to meet all of your needs. Believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord means trusting Him for everything. to meet all your needs, and that you'll be satisfied, not with material things, but with all God gives you in Christ Jesus. He becomes our source of joy. He becomes our source of happiness. As the song says so well, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Put simply, trusting Jesus means you no longer trust in things. And you know what? Our call to worship this morning, Chad, reading Philippians chapter 2. Jesus not only, not only supernaturally empowers us with the Holy Spirit to be selfless, but He gives us the ultimate example of selflessness in coming and leaving His place in heaven and coming and being born in a, a manger, giving up everything that He might gain heaven for you and I. He's our example. Therefore, you can, because of Christ, because trusting in Him no longer means trusting in things, you can therefore give things away. You are therefore free to help meet the needs of others. John Piper puts it this way, Two of the effects of believing in Jesus are that the heart is loosened in relationship to things and tightened in relationship to people. Faith in Christ creates a bond of love to people and cuts the bond of love to things. We see this clearly in the early church. Their heart is loosened in relationship to things. They are willing to let go of their stuff. They are willing to trust Jesus and sell their possessions. And their heart is tightened in relationship to people, especially their fellow believers. They're willing to generously give to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. They're united in love and therefore they give generously. That's what this story is about. That's what this summary is. It's a snapshot of a community of people whose hearts have been utterly revolutionized by believing in Jesus. They found themselves freely caring about people and freely selling land and houses, giving the money to the church for distribution to those with special needs, those who had 
needs at the time. You know, I debated saying this, but I'm going to say it. We don't talk much about giving at this church. We don't pass the plate. We have a box back there. We make sure everybody's aware that that's where you give, and, and we use those resources. But you know, one of the reasons we don't talk much about the act of giving because we're not concerned about the act of giving. We're concerned about your belief, your trust in Jesus Christ. We're concerned, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And if you believe truly in Christ, if you truly trust that He will meet all of your needs, and if you're filled with the power of the Spirit, then giving becomes a natural thing. You don't need to talk about it. To those that believe, to those who are filled, it follows Next week, we're going to look at two examples of this kind of giving, this kind of selfless giving. One is positive. His name is Barnabas. And one is negative. We've talked a little bit about them already, Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe you know the story. But today, in in conclusion, I I want us to remember Jesus' words. In Luke chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, he said this, Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Radical stuff. This is exactly what was happening in the early church. And it wasn't because they had, they, they, they had to. It wasn't an order. There was no earning of God's grace. Grace is a free gift. It wasn't one of the church rules. It was because they heard the word of the Master and they believed. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'm giving you everything. Can you just, can you just sell a few things to help meet the needs of others? Again, Piper says, Faith in the promises of God's fatherly care produces fear Freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, and therefore freedom from things, and freedom for people, and freedom for love. So the source of selflessness is clear. Believing, trusting in Jesus Christ for all of life's needs. And in faith, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. This gives us the ability, the power, the motivation, and the desire to live truly selfless lives. People, to be people who are selflessly united to one another, selfless, people who selflessly witness to the world, people who are selflessly generous with what they've been given. I would just say this uh, as sort of a, a little application to this. Uh, if there are those in our congregation, I mean, we do, we do this uh, most every year at Christmas and Thanksgiving, if, if you have needs, if you're in need, if you're maybe even in need of, uh, you know, most of us in the United States don't go to bed hungry, but sometimes we, on Christmas, we're not going to have anything to give our kids. Maybe we've lost a job. Maybe we're out of work. I just want to let you know that you can come to us and we can help with those things. There's, there's funds available for that. And so I just wanted to say, as a church, that that's something we, we want to help with. 
just have to step out in a little faith and, and let us know. Sometimes that's a problem too. We're unwilling to let people know what our needs are. So would you join me in prayer as I pray for our church that we would uh, become more and more of a selfless church. Father God, thank you for your word and, and all that it means. Thank you for this amazing example, this first church, this church that is clearly formed by you, by the power of your spirit. We're walking with you and, and we see the results. The results was a group of people that uh, were freed from, from things and cared about people. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. People that the world would stand up and take notice. Oh, they care for one another. They don't care about the things of this world. They care about the people in this world. Lord, help us to be that kind of, of church, that kind of people. In Christ's name, amen.